0: Morning. I am very grateful that you are joining us here this morning in this space. Um, And so, obviously, I extend a welcome to you, but also an extended welcome to those of you joining us in our digital space on live stream and then later on video. Morning. Welcome. Glad you're here joining us to look into God's Word together this morning, see what it has for us, because not only is our God alive, but His Word is alive. And it has something for us this morning. Jesus asks a lot of questions. You ever notice this? Preachers bring this up from time to time. But but if you really look at it, Jesus asks a lot of questions. In fact, he uh, he so often asks questions that sometimes that's his answer to questions. Somebody asks him a question and he responds with a question. This morning, the passage we're going to look at, Jesus asks his disciples two questions. And so I thought it very fitting that we also are asked a question this morning. Maybe we begin with a question. Have you had it? This isn't the question, even though I was going to go right into a question. That's not the question I'm talking about. (laughs) It's like when you say, hey, can I ask you a question? And people are like, you just did. Okay. I get it. Have you had it where maybe you get to the middle of a to-do list or you're in the middle of a project or, or the middle of a week or a day, a task, and when you're in the middle of it, you kind of just pause for a minute and you go, How, what am I doing? How did I get here? Like, Why am I actually doing this? Are you familiar with this, with this question of this state of being or am I the lone wolf here? This week I kind of had that... Um, <clears throat> Busy week, okay? We all have busy weeks. But I knew this week was demanding, and I knew it was coming for quite a while. And so Monday night, I'm sitting down, and I'm chatting with Chelsea, and, and we're kind of running through our days, and she asked me how my day was, and at the same time as answering her, I'm, I'm actually running through my weekly calendar in my mind, and I just stopped, and I said, "What? why did I do this to myself? I knew this week was demanding, yet I allowed and I added other things to my calendar and my to-do list. What am I doing? What am I thinking? Doing these things. And as I prayerfully prepared our message for this morning, well, I didn't prepare it. But as I prayerfully sought out what God had for us this morning, I realized there is value in those kinds of questions. What am I doing? What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? It's important for us to ask these questions, I believe, even more so than we already do. I believe it's important that we ask these questions every day. Instead of just in those moments where we're mildly overwhelmed, stressed, and concerned... What am I doing? Why am I doing this? As I was studying, as I said, I found great value in these questions. And so this morning, let's use those kind of as a filter for the word that God has for us this morning. The passage we're jumping into is in Matthew 16. Now, up until this time, Jesus has been preaching and performing uh, miracles and, and on his ministry for many months now. This is a cru- critical turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ. By this time, he's well known over the nation, all over the nation of Israel. His fame has spread far and wide. The common people have embraced him. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his preaching. He's met needs they flocked to him in crowds to hear what he has to say and see what he has to do. Word is spread about this Jesus character. But then there's the Jewish religious leaders, right? The Pharisees. They don't have such a good taste in their mouth about this fellow Jew named Jesus. You see, Jesus is a threat to their vested interests. Earlier, actually, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, there's a confrontation uh, between the Pharisees and Jesus, where they actually make the comment that, that he actually, he's able to perform miracles by the power of Beelzebub. The power of demons is where Jesus gets his power. That's what the Pharisees say to him. This is not a close relationship, because in essence, these religious leaders are saying, Jesus, you come from hell. And so there's this tension those who flock to him and like him and those who not only despise him, but they hate him. Because of this, the shadow of the cross it grows longer and longer and it will soon reach Jesus himself. Even though many came to him and loved him and and wanted to hear what he had to say. They didn't worship him. They didn't worship him. And so as we sit in this cultural tension of those who like him but not worshiping him, those who want to hate him, Jesus then takes his disciples, his followers, the apostles. He takes them north of his home base, out of Jewish territory, into a Gentile territory, into a pagan culture to the city of Caesarea Philippi. It is here where history changes course. Jesus knows the cross is coming. His time is limited. It's time that he activates his followers. These disciples are going to carry on the ministry after he's gone. Matthew 16, beginning at 13 when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, we, uh, we gather here in your name to worship you. We gather here as a portion of your body to look into your word. To be molded and shaped. Yes, to be more informed, but to be more transformed and more conformed to look like you, Jesus. So we call upon Your power. We call upon that same power that lives in us. Holy Spirit, we call upon you. Transform us this morning. Transform us by the renewal of our minds, by the softening of our hearts, by a new birth in you, Jesus. All for the glory of you, God. We thank you, Father. That you are love. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, in your strong and tender name. Amen. So, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus here is, of course, referring to himself. Uh, th- that Son of Man phrase, very popular in the Old Testament, also used in the New Testament, obviously. But that Son of Man phrase, if I'm to, to to whittle it down and, and kind of summarize it, simply put, means the Son of Man is the human, the human being who represents all of humanity in the court of the divine. Okay, so Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus is saying, Who do they say I am? But there's this underlying tone of prophet of prophets already in the definition of Son of Man. So Jesus says, Who, who do the people say that I am? And the, and the disciples respond. They respond with the four things that they've heard the most of, right? Some say you're John the Baptist. I mean, that was Herod's answer. Some say that you're Elijah. And remember, the Jews believed that Elijah would be reincarnated and come back to be with them. Some say that you're Jeremiah or, or, or another prophet. So some people believe that he's a spokesperson for God. The world believed that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a reincarnated prophet from the past, he was a spokesman for God, and the world had come to the wrong conclusion about who Jesus is. The world had missed it. Crowds flocked to him, even though they didn't fully understand him, and they're glad to hear him, and they they loved him because it is quite possible, even with a very sincere heart, to misunderstand who Jesus is. That is, it's possible to miss Jesus with the best of intentions. It's quite typical of the world today. I know I'm guilty of it. There are many people who, who like Jesus, but they don't worship him. Dare I say, there are many people who show up to some building on Sunday morning where Jesus' music is played and Jesus' words are spoken, but they don't worship him. I think he's a good man, even a great man. Maybe a man who had a very special and intimate relationship with God, but they don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe he's the Christ. Are you familiar with Time Magazine? and, and they, their list of 100, the 100 most influential people of all time. Have you heard of these kinds of lists at least? <laughs> all right, we have life. <laughs> time, 100 most influential people list. Um, uh, students from MIT uh, kind of represented MIT, the inst- educational institution as a whole, and they have worked very hard at rendering time's List obsolete. They said it's not based on any facts, it's based on emotion, it's based on your knowledge, it's based on all these different things. Your list of 100 people is not based on anything scientific. So MIT kind of took this over and they made a list of the top 100 most influential people of all time. They used algorithm upon algorithm and they used just a, a whole bunch of metadata to discern and figure out accurately who are the most influential people. Of our time and our savior Jesus Christ the Nazarene came in third third he's on the podium he's got the bronze if I'm at the Olympics I want it if I'm the savior of the world what happened you know what the funny thing is number two on the list worshiped number three on the list how does that happen Better yet, it doesn't say Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. When it says, number three, Jesus the Nazarene, (laughs) a carpenter turned celebrity magician. Yeah, he's the Israeli David Blaine. (laughs) This is what the world thinks of our Jesus. And I don't know if this fact angers you or it saddens you, but it's actually This is what the world believes about Jesus. The the name, when spoken, that, that, that demons flee from. Illness falls off bodies. Number three, the world hasn't come to the right conclusions about Jesus. Jesus asks, Who do people say that I am? And they say, Oh, you know, John the Baptist, or a prophet, or a magician. That's who you are. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And we miss something here because in the Greek, the original language that it's written, that pronoun you has an emphatic emphasis. It's almost as if Jesus set up his disciples. That first question was just to get to this one. His first question was, "Well, what what do people have to say about me but you? What do you have to say about who I am? You, that's who I'm concerned about, you. What do you have to say? Not this crowd of people, you intimately. What do you have to say about who I am? Literally in the Greek, it's but you. Who do you say me to be? Jesus, for the first time, puts his disciples on the spot. Demanding an answer. And speaking of spots, this whole accessory of Philippi, I mentioned that it was north of Israel and this is outside of the normal uh, home base ministry area for Jesus and his disciples, but this is incredibly pagan. Jews don't go here. I was chatting with <clears throat> Andrew. Um, earlier in this week, we were having lunch and, and he was preaching the same passage and he was just recently in Israel so he was telling me about this location. And he said, this location, from, from where they believe this conversation took place, you can see the temple hole man. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> I was told to stop walking around. <clears throat> Not going to happen. Okay, back to it. Caesarea Philippi. They believe that from where Jesus is asking this question. Not only can you see the temple of the Canaanite false god, Baal, you can see the temple of the Greek false god, Pan. You can see the temple to the man, Caesar. And you can see this cave where there's springs that, that uh, bubble up out of the ground that begin the Jordan River. But they believe that that humongous cave was actually the gates of hell. This is where Jesus is asking them, who do you say I am? I know what the world's doing. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, as he so often did as the DL, the designated loudmouth. That was Peter, right? Quick to answer, quick to act. Ready, for your Aim. But Peter, whose nature of of acting so quickly oftentimes gets him in trouble, this time he's spot on. He's spot on. And Peter answers quickly, and he answers very specifically. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's saying, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. That means the anointed one. You're you're the one who came to save us. You're the one who came to reconcile us to God, to fix the thing that was broken in the garden. You're the one. The Son of the living God. And Peter is right. But when Jesus asks, who do you say I am in the spot, the location, where they are, in the, cultural, in the cultural climate that he asks, what he's saying is, are you willing to stand alone in your assessment of who I am? Are you willing to risk being different being ridiculed publicly standing for something that's not public opinion not popular opinion because we know what the world thinks and Peter says yes you're the Christ you're the son of the living God and Jesus blesses him because professing Jesus as Lord is not something that you can conjure up on your own. I know this is something that maybe we've never been taught, uh, taught directly, but it's something that we learn in Western Christianity, that when we come to a certain age, we need to make our profession of faith because we've heard enough about Jesus that we can make up our own mind. It says right here, you cannot profess Jesus as the Lord, Son of God, of the living God, without the Father revealing it. This is a big deal. I'm not saying don't go to Sunday school. What I'm saying is if you can't yet do that, you pray for God to open your eyes and reveal it. Jesus blesses him because he couldn't have come up with this alone. Standing amongst the worldly idolatry and accessory of Philip or Philip. Peter has a divine revelation of who Jesus is. And Jesus calls him by name, Simon, son of Jonah. And then Jesus tells him who he is, Peter. Uh, Jesus calls him by name, Simon, son of Jonah. And then he tells him who he is. You are Peter. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, remember that cave that we just talked about? The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When Simon professes who he divinely knows Jesus to be, then Jesus shows them who he is, Peter. The more the Father reveals who Jesus is to Simon, the more Jesus reveals who Peter is to Simon. And through this profession, Christ's church will be built. The church that gives us today, sitting here in this room, an intimate and direct connection to that day in Caesarea Philippi. But you, 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 who do you say I am? It's a question the world gets wrong. At times they're almost right, prophet, teacher. But almost right about Jesus is wrong. Almost right about Jesus is totally wrong. Wrong. Why? Because we're not saved by our good opinions about Jesus. We're not saved by our good feelings about Jesus. We're not saved by the great moral teachings of Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's how we're saved. The Son of the one true God, the living one, the Christ, and that is the truth about Jesus, divinely revealed. So I want to say this, if you, I want to say this, like anyone's going to be able to, I mean, I got a microphone. I guess you can not listen. I encourage you to listen to this. Maybe you have a family member. Maybe you have a close friend. Maybe you have a neighbor who doesn't yet profess Jesus as Lord, and it saddens you And it frustrates you. And from time to time, you actually end up even getting in arguments over this. Because you just want them to believe. And they might think that they just, you just want me to belong. Question for you. If you meet a blind man, do you curse the blind man for his blindness? You pray to God to open his eyes. Being able to profess Christ is divinely revealed. I'm not saying don't evangelize. I'm not saying don't disciple. I'm not saying don't share about Jesus. What I'm saying is pray first. You pray for God to open their eyes. And if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, you pray. And you want, you want proof that he's real? Pray to him. To open your eyes. And he will show you who he is. And if you do believe, you have to profess it. And I'm not saying eighth grade catechism profess it. You need to profess it daily. You need to profess that Jesus is the son of God. That he is Lord of all. He is the Christ. And then after you profess, you got to listen. Listen. Why? Because just like Simon, Jesus wants to call you Peter. No, he doesn't want to change your name actually to Peter, but he wants to call you who you are, child, son, daughter, beloved, forgiven, mine, forever. We were once lost and we are now found. We were once wandering goats. We are now a sheep in a flock. We were once of the world. We are now co-heirs in Christ, a part of his body, the church, his bride. You're not Simon. You're Peter. But it all starts with a question. We know what the world says. But you, you... Who do you say Jesus is? Because brothers and sisters, friends, your answer will determine and reveal how you live. It directs our decision. Your answer, it directs your decisions. It determines the actions you're going to take. The words you'll speak it defines how you'll interact with evil, how you care for the orphans, the widows, and the oppressed. It displays His glory and His majesty in a lowly sinner like me and like you, saved by grace. Our answer reveals how we live and it reveals who we are. The more you know Jesus, the more you know about yourself. It's as if Jesus said, since you can tell me who I am, I am now going to tell you who you are. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Or do you just know about Jesus? Do you know the right words to the To the question, you know how to answer it correctly? Or do you know Him? Because I don't think Jesus is looking at this question like a fill in the blank. If you get Son of God, then you're good. He wants to know you and He wants you to know you. He wants to know you and He wants you to know you. Maybe you know Jesus is Son, but you don't know Jesus is the Son. Might I remind you that right after this passage, Peter tries to do things his way and needs to be rebuked by Jesus. And then might I remind you, Peter denies Jesus, his Savior, three times. Might I remind you later on in his ministry, Peter once again tries to go astray and Paul's got to rebuke him. We're Peter. Do you know him? Pray. Pray. Because it's divinely revealed. Thing is, here's the beauty of this, and I'm wrapping it up here. Beauty of this, at the end of the passage, I don't know if you realized, I don't know if you heard the last little bit, Jesus reveals all this stuff. He blesses Simon, then Peter, and he says, Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Well, why does he say that? Well, because um, they didn't have, they being the culture, the, the Jews at that time, they didn't have a healthy understanding of what the Christ is, right? What the anointed one is. Usually the anointed ones were military leaders or political figures. And so if he was called the Christ publicly... There would have been this uprising, and they think that he's going to reestablish the nation of Israel through power. But Jesus didn't come to lead a military movement. He came to be a selfless sacrifice. And if the word would spread, guess what he doesn't get to be? Peter, again, in the garden, pulls out his sword, cuts off a Roman official's ear to defend Christ as if Jesus needs defending I'll just glue that back on right there. There you go. It's cool. Stop it. Right? Beauty of it is they couldn't tell anybody because Jesus had chosen the cross. He chose death for us. And that's all great. And and I know we celebrate the cross and, and, and we should in a way. But don't forget about the resurrection. Don't forget about the ascension. Don't forget about he's preparing a place for us right now. He's given us Holy Spirit who lives in us and with us to guide us intimately. And he's coming back in the day of the Lord to gather up all who love him to be with him. So since we know that 2,000 years later, those words, don't say this about me, doesn't apply to me right now. So I'm going to tell you, if you don't know Jesus, or if you know Jesus but you don't know Jesus, let me tell you this. Hear this from a lowly sinner he is more than enough he is the one and only son of God he is the living one the Lord of all who came and died and rose again and isn't finished he today is working just as his father is working And in the midst of your mess, he pursues you because he can bring comfort to your pain, righteousness to your brokenness. He can bring healing to your illness, justice to your oppression, wisdom to your foolishness, forgiveness to your guilt and your shame. Jesus is the provider of freedom in its fullness. I know we kind of have that screwed up in in, in America. We say we got it all messed up. We say we understand freedom. You don't understand freedom until you know Jesus. Freedom in its fullness. And you, you are loved by him, chosen to be his, a child, a saint. So let me wrap it up with this question What are we doing here? What are we doing here? What is this all about? We are here as the church to worship the Son of God so we can go as his church into the world and have preschool. Yeah, show and tell, baby. Show and tell the world that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Lord of all. For that's who he is. But you, you, who do you say that he is? Because your answer determines everything. And it's a question that we all have to answer. Pray with me. Father, it's... um, You are glorious, you are love, you are peace, you are hope, you are righteousness, you are forgiveness, you are wisdom, and you are ours as we are yours. So Holy Spirit, it's in Jesus' name that I pray you open our eyes even wider to who you are so you can show us who we are in a new and intimate way. And may we take that knowledge and not boast of ourselves, but boast of you in public and show and tell who you are. And Jesus, it is in your name that I pray for all of those who don't yet fully believe, who have a misunderstood depiction of who you are for the lost. Open their eyes. And Jesus, I pray that Holy Spirit opens their eyes miraculously and put us right there when it happens so we can testify to your love and your goodness and lowly sinners like us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, because it is the name above all names, Son of the living God, the Christ. Amen. I thought it fitting that our blessing this morning, our benediction, comes from Peter. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.